You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Oh, well, hi, Justin. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm so excited to finally get you on the podcast to talk about LinkedIn ads because you are the LinkedIn ads guru. Um, Since I've come across you on LinkedIn, you've been sharing such awesome tips. um, And I was just so excited to actually get into it. I've been telling so many of my network that you and I are going to do a piece and we're going to really delve deep and get into it. And it's just super exciting to have you here to really get into LinkedIn ads and just talk to you about the things I've been seeing, the changes, the plethora of um, information that keeps evolving and changing. And, you know, recently we've been experiencing LinkedIn ad uh, rejects with the word LinkedIn ourselves. So your tact that I picked up from you doesn't seem to anymore work through with the bracket with the LN anymore. So yeah, I went through a whole, I, I told my wife that I felt like I was uh, like under siege. And I was like, let's see what troops are left. And I was like, oh man, I checked this campaign. And it's like, I got, I got no ads left running and like this one was okay. But they're really, really finicky with, and it's, and it's crazy because like you would think that if we're promoting LinkedIn ads, we want people to spend money on LinkedIn ads. Like they shouldn't make it that hard for us. We're not trying to like do anything sinister i know we're here to actually support linkedin and grow linkedin but um really cool to have a ceo like justin who is so focused on linkedin ads running impactable here to go through all the tips hacks tricks strategies of linkedin ads and you know justin with you i really want to start right from the top of the experience of when someone goes into the LinkedIn ad portal and just work through all the way through. So when you go into a LinkedIn ad portal, you're presented with nine choices of objectives, right? And I would love to hear your thought and I'll share my insights on when you go in and you've got these nine choices, it's your first maybe ad you're looking at setting up, it's your cold potential layer. And when we say cold, do you want to explain that to everyone else, Justin? Like, because I guess you and I like, yeah, I know what it is. I've been following you. But when we talk about cold layer, what does that mean? And I, I, I usually pride myself in describing things and explaining things in a way that like even a beginner would get. But I feel like I, yeah, even, even certain terms that we take for granted uh, need explanation. Um, so the cold layer to me is putting an ad in front of someone who's never heard of you, never been to your website. So they are considered a cold prospect. And, you know, cold to warm is they've never, taking them from cold, they've never heard of you, warming them up where they've been to your website or start seeing your content to like what people would consider a hot lead where they've shown interest or there's intense signals, multiple trips to your website, or, you know, they book a call. So yeah, the cold layer of ads is usually the first ads that you put in front of them and they've never seen anything from you before. Perfect. And we'll be moving between cold layer and retargeting layers when we're talking along this po- podcast. So just so you can follow on, we've described cold layer. Anything that's not cold, we'll be talking about as a retargeting layer. And we'll talk about it in breakup of how many layers there are in retargeting in a minute. But here you are faced with these nine choices, right? And you've got awareness, consideration and conversions. And then underneath it, you're kind of looking at, brand awareness campaign, website clicks, engagement, whole variation there. And um, it can be quite overwhelming going, which one do I choose, right? And being someone that would both run ads, we would have tried all of them to see, you know, what it is. So from my experience, Justin, what I see is at that cold layer, engagement ads are the cheapest in terms of CPC for us. But I would love to hear your thought. And I've been, you know, thinking about it a lot just because it's the cheapest CPC, maybe it's not the best in the long run because maybe it's not understanding conversions. Like, tell tell me about your thoughts about cold layer. What are you thinking when you've got those nine choices presented in front of you? 
So I think I think engagement is is fair. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there's a wrong answer. Um, I would say that to have a conversion focus, you would need some conversion data first in your ad account. So I think starting with conversion focus might be one of the few like wrong answers where if you've never had a conversion, LinkedIn doesn't know what they're optimizing for. So it's not essentially optimizing for anything. Um, so I feel like that doesn't help you, but starting with awareness um, or starting with website visits, I think those are those are fair places to start because initially you're just looking to get on their radar and whether that's a click to the website or just engaging with the content in the feed, which is perfectly okay. Um, I think those are both good options. And I think the main thing that you would consider is, um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's no wrong answer and, and they change too. Like, so it, I think about it like this, like you, you, you select that, um, that focus and LinkedIn optimizes it according to that action. So if you're going after engagement, they're going to put the ads in front of people who are most likely to engage. And that's a different group than people that are most likely to click into a website. Now, neither one of those necessarily means that they're a stronger lead, but you know, it is different action. So maybe people that are more apt to engage with content are less likely to buy, or maybe people who are likely to visit websites are just curious and researchers. Uh, so I think you have elements of both of those, but I'd say that's a good place to start with either one of those. I'm not sure which yeah. one would technically be better and it changes well, probably. Just just to share with you, I ran the same exact ad on a brand awareness, engagement and website click all at the same time, same ad, same copy. And the CPC was variation from $18 CPC all the way down to a dollar CPC, the same exact variation. So my strategy was why don't I at the top cold, if it's a cold, cold layer, I just need to get as many clicks or as many impressions as possible. So I, I've stuck to, and it depends, I guess you have to keep testing on every client. It could be different, but for us, we seem to be able to, we want to get reach a broad amount of reach at the top of funnel. So sticking to engagement has been a bit of a play, but yeah, I was, you're right. We don't have conversion data. Conversions were the highest when we clicked on the same ad and we said, Hey, can you, do website conversions and they were just charging, you know, through the roof for that because maybe they don't know how to optimize. So really great tip, Justin, on that. Do you sort of, you know, look at CPC or do you look at CPM? So I didn't come from a marketing background and I feel like in, in some cases I approach things like a, like a newborn marketing baby. And I just, I just, you know, I don't know. And I, I test, test, test where I, I feel like people who have come from marketing backgrounds, they, they have these ideas and sometimes that helps them, you know, and be an advantage over me and sometimes it doesn't. So I feel like I came and I looked at cost per click and I looked at CPM and for me, I didn't actually put a ton of emphasis on that because I immediately wanted to, to figure out what, you know, what should I be tracking? It's, you know, maybe CPL is a, is a, well, and I think it moves. So if you're, if you're first just getting traction, you know, whatever's getting the clicks, that probably is a good indicator. And then what is actually getting the leads, you know, and as you start tracking that, as you get data, you can start optimizing for that. But then to me, I then moved the goalpost and I said, well, campaign one is getting 10 leads, but only one person booked a call from that. And campaign two got five leads but four people booked a call from that. So if I you know, hadn't moved my goalpost to be able to track booked calls, I'd be putting my money in the wrong area. And I feel like it's like that in every single thing. Like if you're chasing the lowest cost per click, but you're not, you're not able to tell where the leads are coming from, you might go down the wrong hole. And if you're chasing leads, but you can't, you don't know for sure how many of those are booking calls, then you might be chasing the wrong data. And then I would really push as hard as you can to try to figure out how many of those booked calls are actually converting. Um, and, and again, like when you shift that, you know, that's another eye opener, but that's really hard. I, most, most B2B companies I work with, they don't ever get to the point where they're tracking 
booked calls inside the ad campaign um, and it's just leads or, or clicks. So they focus on that a lot, but I would really fight to be able to get a uh, booked calls as a trackable conversion inside your LinkedIn ad campaign. Um, and then that becomes kind of my, my guiding light. Absolutely. And we can talk about that in a bit later when we talk about measuring and success, because there's ways that you can also go, did they land on the actual book call page and they did not actually go through, which is a tact you use. And I think that's very cool and in, you know intelligent because there could be an issue with that page as to why they're not going through. So I think it's super smart. Um, let, what happens next within the platform is once you've actually chosen, okay, I'm either going to go with engagement, it's my cold funnel, or I'm going to go with brand awareness. The next thing is you're presented with a choice of format of your ad straight away based on what you have chosen. And you're straight away like, okay, I've got image ads, I've got carousel ads, video ads, text, conversations, event ads, like there's a whole variation if you've chosen. So you're looking at this, right? And you're thinking, how how do I, how do I sort of choose which one to go with? And is it all yeah. of them that I need to try? Which one's the cheapest? Which one's not? You've got such a vast experience, you know, over so many years testing this thing. And tell me what, when you look at that, what do you immediately go for there and why? When I look at the different ad types, I'm not looking at what's best or what gets the lowest cost per click or the click through rate or even conversions. I look at them as either tools in a tool belt or brushes in my paint set and they can all be useful in different scenarios and usually they're most useful in combination so i would say usually single image ads are most companies go to and they are the most used and they usually get attributed the most conversions because they're powerful they're in the linkedin feed they're hitting people while they're consuming data and the thing i love about linkedin ads is that um, people are coming to the platform Business leaders are coming to this platform with the mindset of wanting to learn what people are using, new tools, new processes. They want to be influenced on business uh, buying decisions. And so showing something in the feed like works really well. But then I look at, um, we had this internally where, you know, I was pushing text ads uh, for a while and people, on, even on, you know, people on my team are like, I don't, I don't understand what's so cool about text ads. They have terrible click through rates. They have pretty high like cost per click. And I said, you know, I, and I, and, and that's what they were focusing on is some of those metrics and like, and you know, they usually aren't snagging like any conversion. I was like, okay, I get that. But look at this one. Like this one has 20,000 impressions. It has a frequency of eight and it hasn't actually spent a dollar yet. I was like, this is like free advertising. And so it's a nice layer. And then you can't prove all of this, but these text ads that are showing your logo, that are showing on the right, I believe they're softening up the prospects, whether they click on them or not. Like if you're paying cost per click, then it's free advertising unless they click it, but they're seeing you, they're seeing your logo. Um, I love to use those as retargeting. And I believe, I firmly believe that they help soften up and improve the ROI of like the single image ad. Um, And the same with spotlight, the same with follower. So they have their uses. I like to use those in retargeting. Um, video has its use. It has a terrible cost per click usually, but it is probably the most powerful medium of getting your message across, humanizing your brand. And you can, you can judge not just if they clicked it yes or no, but how, how well they engaged or how much they were engaged with that ad by what percentage of the video they watched. Um, and then conversation ads, um, Again, I I don't usually like to lead with those in the cold unless I have a specific list that I can get highly personalized with, you know, industry, company title, like very specific message to them. Um, But it can be a really nice personalized touch in the retargeting and they just work so well together. Um, So I guess depending on your budget and depending on, um, you know, how well you can master those tools, they all have their use and they're really, really great when you use them together. It's kind of how I approach it. No, amazing. And a little tip that I found was video CPC can be really high, but then again, when I played with, you you get video views both on the engagement format and you also get it on the video format. And when I moved it to sometimes engagement format, the I was getting, I was really getting cheaper buy-in. So sometimes if you are finding 
CPC really high, maybe try a different format and you might get a totally different result. And there is some videos just do better than others. So there's a lot of tests we've been doing in videos and, you know, sometimes we've bought it at such cheap, which I've shared with you, the data, and you're like, wow, um, the impressions can be so different. Um, Also with the image ads that you choose, what's been interesting for me, and I don't know if you've experienced it, if it's doing really well, if we see like a really great image ad and it's performing and we've like improved maybe the graphic a bit more, like we'll start with really like average graphic and we because we want to just test the copy and just see is that if that is actually working then imagine what's going to happen at the next phase if you you know do a better image um ad and it's interesting for me I found I've got an ad that's gone from like 378 cpc down all the way to 175 just by changing only image is that similar to your experience at how much image improvement to the eye can you know change cpc yeah, it's uh, I've I've seen that in a, a variety of different places, and and normally you're right. You you start with a handful of graphics. You start to learn about what's resonated with your audience, whether you know it's the intro or the image, and usually it's the image that is kind of the 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 scroll stopper, and then they consume the intro and then the headline and and those different things factor. So if you get an image that resonates, a lot of times, yeah, if you either improve that image even more or you duplicate that 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 ad and then test different intro messages then you can even you know try to improve the cost per click um, by you know ab testing the intro or ab ab testing then the headline uh, so little tweaks and improvements can really drive that down over time and the other thing i really love about single image is um, they if it's a really good ad it'll get likes and comments and over time it it's kind of like an evergreen piece of content that the more likes and comments and shares it gets, it that's social proof that actually drives down the cost per click a, a lot as well, um, which gives an advantage over, you know, sometimes other ad types. Cool. Do you find that CPC will continue to go down for ads over time or does it like, you know, over or does it seem to go up some of the ads over time if you don't do a maximum bid on CPC? Usually over time, like the the trend I see is that a good ad will will continue to go down over time. Um, there are times where, yeah, I guess if you're doing automated delivery or maximum delivery, that it will go up and down or, or have kind of its variety. But I think especially with the accumulation of likes and comments, um, that continues to drive it down over time. Um, and I, I would say if you if you look at those ups and downs, my son, if you look at those ups and downs, um, and you can change it to manual bidding, uh, sometimes that that can cap it. But a lot of times, I mean, if you're getting if you get it under three, I mean, I don't think you can even change manual bidding to to do anything. It won't even let you bid that low, so you're better off at a maximum. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think it depends on the format because yeah, for me, it, it's sometimes allowed me to put in even a dollar depending on the ad itself. And I was like, oh, wow. And then sometimes it says no. So I don't know if it's based on audience size or what it's actually pushing in. But, um, yeah, super, super interesting that you say. So you say pretty much stay with – you stay with maximum on the three if it's lower than three and let it sort of do its thing and then you start bidding for it if it's carrying too much over that price, sounds like. Yeah, it's it's a case by case basis, and I think like most a lot of LinkedIn experts usually prefer to go with manual bidding, and and to me it's like a trade off. It's I I believe yeah, in a lot of cases you can get the absolute lowest price if you're monitoring those and you put your manual bids in, but it's also you know time consuming, um, so you have that trade off. So I think for most people doing ads themselves, it, it just makes more sense like to have it on maximum. And then if you see, if you go to performance, you see these huge peaks and valleys, sure, you can come in and, and you can manual bid, like maybe start with maximum and you could add a manual bid later to at least cap it so you don't have those extreme like peaks. Um, but for the most part, like I'm not, I actually do like uh, maximum bid and it's, and it's kind of, yeah, it's probably not the most popular thought because I also think that in some cases, just like with Google search and some of these other ad types that I guess I might be giving LinkedIn too much credit that 
that there's a reason that some of those spikes happen and that you're competing for high quality clicks and that maybe, you know, some of those times it actually goes up are because you get access to bid on the higher quality prospects and it's not just LinkedIn being greedy. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but um, that's, you know, something that I, I think about. It's very cool. No, um, you've really enlightened me and the, a different way of thinking about, yeah, maybe they're not being tricky and maybe it's just the way it is. Um, if it's not like sort of a trend that all of a sudden the ad was over four days, do you know what's the most exciting when like, I'd love to do a gif on it. You know, when your ad goes live for the first three days and you're like, oh my God, my CTR is like so good. Like it's like 10% and it's like three cents and you're like jumping up and down going, wow, yeah. I really hit the jackpot. Has that, has that happened to you where you look and like, don't look. Yeah. Cause you never know like what it's going to be. I mean, you can have your predictions and you can be like, oh, this is a really good uh, audience to target and I really believe in this creative and this offer but you really don't know so yeah if, if you start off and you're like oh thank thank you lord this is a great cost per click a click-through rate um don't touch anything um yeah that's that's a nice feeling yeah it feels like that and then um within a couple of I think days or once it's you know had its time you're like oh okay now it, but in the first if you if you're one of those people that are just looking at it and you're like wow, I've done so well and patting yourself on the shoulder. Like I think just wait a couple of days for it to really deliver and calm down because it's just a warning for people listening on that are like, yeah, I've nailed it. I also have a, a slight theory on that of when like you initially launch, because I, I think that happens a lot too, where the, you initially launch a campaign and the results are, are really good on a cold layer and then it starts to drop off. And my theory is that if you use Sales Navigator and you create a search group, the first you know, page is always not only the most act, it's like the first page of a Google search, the most relevant, most highly active people. And then page, you know, 15 of your Google search is like, how did this even make it in there? Um, so my theory from coming from outreach to ads is that I think the ads work similar where they first serve your ads to the most active users, the ones that are most, you know, in that target group. And then over time, as that it begins to saturate that list, it it maybe hits, you know, people that are are less active, are, are less engaged, and uh, those results kind of diminish over time. Because I, I do know that when I when I change or adjust my target group, sometimes I'll get that burst again, where the results go back up. And it's like it's hitting a, a fresh new po pocket of active users. Um, and we saw the same thing on the sales navigator side when we were, when outreach was our main thing. You know, sometimes also when you duplicate an ad and you yeah, do that one more time, you sometimes see this that same spike again happen. Like you'll duplicate an ad and you'll, you'll see, wow, I'm getting really great results again. It might be the same reason why. And, but sometimes that ad ends up performing better because it seems like LinkedIn might've understood your audience better. Do you have sort of same experience? Like you might duplicate the exact sort of ad strategy and then all of a sudden it's got a better performance than the previous one. Yeah, and I think some of this is uh, you know, there you could you could spend so much time trying to master one platform and there's technicalities of how the the bidding works and uh how it distributes content that, you know, maybe it's in there in the fine print and there is someone nerdier than me that knows that. So I, I have my own theories and then I do my digging in. Um but my I think one of the things that comes into play is you know, a unique ad can only be shown to a target audience in a, in a certain time frame. So even just duplicating an ad or a campaign, like enables that that same set of creatives to then be shown to the group more frequently, or, you know, whatever than it would have been before, uh, because it's a unique creation now. After you've sort of done your audience, and you're doing come to a place where it's time to choose your audience and this is a great time to strategize I think with how are you going to do audience and what is your view on audiences it's super interesting because you can either generate lists from things elements that LinkedIn provides you you can go in and put your own custom lists in what's the best strategies that you really like when it comes to selecting audiences. I've played around with a lot of different things here. And 
one of the things that I've realized, and again, from uh, even from our outreach side, is that there's perfect lists of who your dream clients are, and then there's perfect lists of who would be best to reach on LinkedIn, because you know you might have this this huge group of people that you could possibly serve, and you might know that you can best help this group. But there's this group over here who is way more active on LinkedIn. You can reach them with a lower cost per click and you can get more conversions at a lower rate on LinkedIn. But because you know you come with your own custom list, sometimes you can miss out on that. So, um, And LinkedIn's algorithm is getting better. And I, I think being a broad marketer um, helps me in some degree because like Facebook marketers, for example, they, they trust Facebook's algorithm. They start with these broad searches and they let algor- their algorithm do its magic and narrow in on the, you know, and, and LinkedIn um, ad experts are would be terrified to do something like that. And I think there's a happy medium where I try to I try to use LinkedIn native searches whenever possible um, for that reason, because LinkedIn's going to sort and prioritize. It knows who's more active a user. I try to look for areas where I can broaden it a little bit within reason versus niche down too much. And I know that's also maybe not what some people would do um, to the point where instead of going like spe- a, a list of specific job titles, I would go seniority and function because it will include, you know, a few more people, people are titling themselves. Um, so it's not like a, a scientific index of professionals, you know, people can call themselves the CEO of change or the director of getting stuff done. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to fit into those boxes. So if you go with the seniority and, and, uh, and job function, you'll get a little broader. You'll let, you'll have to have a little more trust in LinkedIn's algorithm, which for a lot of their features, I'm not uh, a, a fan of, uh, cause I think they do try to like any ad platform, take your money, um, and just want you to spend more. But so, yeah, I would, I would I would come with LinkedIn's filters. The one thing I have found that if you're going to build lists that I thought was super cool is um, what is it called? Technographic or um, where you can find it, it. It's databases like that, but there's ones that are like Wappalizer and built with where you can look up businesses by what kind of technology is on their website. So for us, we we bought a list uh, a while back of companies that have the LinkedIn Insights tag on their on their website. And then a separate one, you know, we could do of people that have Google tag, or you could figure out if they're spending money on other platforms. Um, so that could be huge for some people. But then again, you, those people, and then finding the ones that are actually on LinkedIn, like, you know, if you could find a way to, to marry those two um, and not get too small, I think those would be good. I think that's such a great insight you've just shared. And um, I'll just summarize a little bit for people that are listening on that. If you're a say, a service-based business and you are a CRM provider, um, that's very common. And one of the biggest challenges CRM providers who, say, link up with HubSpot or Salesforce and provide integration, one of the biggest problems they have with using LinkedIn is identifying who's actually utilising Salesforce and who's actually utilising HubSpot or what technologies they're using. And I think Built With, which you've just mentioned, Justin, can actually give you that data because there will be something on their website that they'll have a tag or insights um, that will integrate into that software. Not everyone potentially, but the sophisticated type. And that would enable, I guess, businesses to identify that. I, I don't know if Zoom Info would also house that kind of data, but built with is probably cheaper to purchase, right? So what a great way to then build a list of companies at least. And then would you get the list of maybe companies and then would the, if you wanted to target a job title or seniority level, you said within that, that would, that's something really powerful. I think in LinkedIn, I saw one of your recent posts, Justin, that it actually enables you to then put the list of companies maybe even up, and then you can actually layer one more time and say, no, from these companies, I want to talk to say the CEO. That's so powerful. Yeah. And that that's exactly right. That upload that list and uh, the Salesforce and HubSpot, like that's exactly something that Built With can offer. And Wappalizer is very similar, and I think it's really competitively priced for its uh, technology on the website. But even for, I mean, think about like yes, that would be really cool for people that are well for ecom because it's really hard for us to target ecom uh, owners. But if you target people who have WooCommerce installed on their website, 
um, you get that list and then, yeah, you can upload the company list and then you layer on the filters, but I only want these position titles or this seniority level and these job functions and operating in this geography, like layer on your other stuff. Um, that would be yeah, a really powerful list. Super powerful, super great share. Um, so the other question I had for you in terms of when you are doing audiences at this point, are you separating out your industries and geographies nice and early when you're building? Cause you would have so many campaigns then that you would run, but because you, then how else would you know, you know, where I'm performing? So are you doing that? You know, are you sort of like going, okay, I'll do this one. And this is all the layers I'll do. Like what's your strategy on that when, people are really trying to understand, you know, which geography is going to be the best and the most interest for them. So I do think there's, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. And you're exactly right. If one of the things that you really want to know, let's say I have, you know, 10 different industries that I can work in, uh, you could, you could block each of those industries out into its own campaign and give it its own amount of ad spend. And you could compare those campaigns against each other. Um, and then you'd have to decide what you want to do when you get to retargeting. Are you going to retarget each of those separately with industry specific ads? Um, that, that could get, it could give you a lot of data in the cold layer. It could be prohibitive in the retargeting because you'd need 300 at least retargeting for each of those. Um, and so it might make more sense to retarget them broadly, um, so that that is a good and the other the other good thing that you'd want to break out is if you did go that route is also by company size because there's a huge conversion rate difference by industry usually and by company size you, you know you have the the cost per click and conversion rate by company size is is just important so then what do you do you break out these 10 industries into their own 10 campaigns and each of those 10 into three company size campaigns um, I did find, and there's lots of people who do that in small sprints and there's, um, that gives you data, but the, the answer that I've found that's maybe slightly better is, um, and again, I feel like I say I go against the conventional wisdom a lot. Um, so I found a third party software called, uh, agency analytics, and there's other software like that, that can take the data from LinkedIn and they can parse it out outside of LinkedIn. And I think you can go in, you can export your data you can see the industries you can look at those but this does it like you know without all that hassle so i can lump the 10 industries into one campaign the company sizes into one campaign but then i can look at the data of in agency analytics and see the cost per click by industry the cost per click by company size and then i can go back and i can make those adjustments inside my campaign to say hey you know i spent a thousand dollars on companies with you know, 500 to 1,000 employees, and I've never gotten a single, you know, lead gen form submission or a booked call, uh, I probably need to cut that one loose. And 80% of my conversions are coming from this, these three industries and this company size, maybe I should just focus on that. And the other good thing that happens if you pull all of your money into a bigger campaign um, is that those hero creatives would rack up more likes and comments and get more powerful. Whereas if you had 10 separate cold campaigns, you know, it would take a lot more money flowing through those in a lot longer period of time for like ads in each of those to get, you know, seasoned and social engagement and, and get more powerful. So I've got a client who was asking me, do I just run my full audience size, like 40,000? And I, I just want to go hard in seven days and spend $10,000 to get them to all see my ads. And I was like, but we haven't why don't we go slower so we can figure out messaging, right? And go smaller until we can get to conversion and because we might need to flip it. That's the thinking. But but they said, well, no, why wouldn't I just, you know, I want to show everyone so I can get the audience out of that straight away. What's your, you know, which side do you sit on on if someone said that to you? This is uh, a conversation that I actually had with uh, someone from Refine Labs, which you know, um, and they they have they're, they're really they're really smart marketers as well, and they they have a different mentality than me on a lot of these cases, um, but they also deal with a different client base usually than me. I deal with a lot of um, small to medium sized mid market companies. They deal with uh, usually larger budgets and on the the other side of the spectrum, and so they run into that problem a lot where they say this is the total addressable market. 
and the budget is so big that we could reach these people, you know, in a very short amount of time. Like we could put something in front of all of them, either like, you know, monthly or within a 60 day. Um, and, and the market's big and the, and the budget or the market's small and the budget's big. And so what I would say to that is, I mean, I would still want to parse. I mean, I guess if the total addressable market is, is that small, like, so I would go back to that. to my first question is, is it, really that small or or is your total addressable market this big but you've decided that this is the group you want to focus on can we expand that first um because maybe the group that's best to market on linkedin isn't the what's actually the, your best that you've decided outside of linkedin marketing you've decided this because google search has told you this and facebook and your outreach and your sales rep but linkedin ads you know has its own platform its own market like it, it's gonna have its own data so is that really your your total addressable market or can we look at expanding it? Well, I just wanted to share with you that the reason that their list is so small, the way their agency works, and it doesn't suit everyone, it hasn't suit some of my US clients I was that had talked to them when they had raised substantial money because they will only do one ICP, which is one ideal client profile. They will do only one industry and one job title and that's all that you will get for that 30000 per month spend because they want to be hyper targeted and so there's a right place and time for that in your business as you mature that you really understand but if you want to test multiple industries because you really don't know yet and you're still early on trying to understand your market well they're probably not going to do that they're probably going to do a three to four to six month campaign on one only one job title and only one industry that's that's what i found out from um you know, someone that actually went and went through the process and had the budget to spend with, um, but that's that's how it works. And that's why they're saying to you that it's so small. That makes a little more sense. So the other thing I would say then is the big problem I see with that is that it doesn't matter if you got every single one of your target market to visit your website, they're not going to, there's no website that's so amazing that they're just going to impulse buy your enterprise software or whatever it is. Like if it's more than $2,000, it's the getting that first initial click is great, but then it's usually three months worth of ads that tell them, you know, we're the experts, here's client results, here's, you know, our, what we believe in. And that's usually where like they learn to trust you enough and they're comfortable enough with you to want to book the call. So yeah, even if you got your entire addressable market to visit your website in the first month, I mean, you still need a really good plan to nurture them or else you'd be wasting a lot of that money in my mind. So I'll give you a different strategy that I heard from when I had Garrett on from Directive Consulting. So again, another agency that's competing um, within Refine Lab within this space of agency and his thing was he he doesn't his approach is not this layered approach that we are talking about that it takes three months so and I'll sh- actually share the document he released you'll be I, I don't know if I shared it with you already but um I'll push it into you so you can just have a look but it's a video it's a hyper cool video at the start that really is hyped you know and that really makes you feel a certain way and then straight away after that, um, and they're focused on that SaaS products. We're much more easier to sell SaaS than a service, you know, where there's much more competition. And then they hit you with a conversation ads pretty much straight after with a gift card offering if you get on the call. Very unique. It's worked for him. He's shared it, you know, he's been on the podcast, shared it, that, you know, that's what's making him going berserk. But isn't that bizarre? Like, I'm just like, I was like, wow, because everyone's doing their thing and everyone's got their style and they're making it work. But to go from one, you know, really cool, like just two ads to get you straight to, they're saying SQL. I mean, maybe it does work, you know, maybe it's enough, but it's just kind of challenges the thought of the 180 day process, you know, that we've, you know, seen that it takes time to build. And can you really do it in two touches? You know, that's incredible. I mean, they have to be the most incredible touches ever. I, th- I think it has to be hyper-targeted. So for instance, if I were going to run something like that, I wouldn't do it to most of my total addressable market. I would hit, I would, I, I could probably run that profitably to marketing agencies. I would say if you're a marketing, marketing agency owner 
of either this revenue or this size operating, you know, in, in these geographies, and I'll pay you a hundred dollars to get on the phone with me. And I know, you know, beyond a, pretty much beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have my target so well that if I can get them on a call that they're going to convert, if they even just hear me out, you know, that's, yeah, if you have your solution and you know your target, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't run that um, for a lot of my target market. I would say a very specific group that could work for. Audience expansion, LinkedIn audience network. I've seen you talk about it. I've seen you use it. It's kind of scary to trust, to press those buttons. Give me some, you know, insights and what you found using it. So I feel like it's changed over time. Um, I initially started using Audience Network, you know, when I when I first started marketing on LinkedIn, and I actually thought it was really cool um, because I I would run ads for myself and for clients, and I would be checking my email, and I would see these display ads over to the right, and I knew they were coming from our LinkedIn ad campaigns because you know they were the ads that we put together, and I thought, how cool is that? They're finding the prospects that we're targeting and they're serving them ads on these trusted websites. Well, over time, LinkedIn's been taking more and more of the budget because uh, there's no way to regulate that. You can you can put exclusions in for categories, but I've had campaigns where, and I didn't used to have to worry about like creating those exclusion lists, but now I've had situations where I've had absolutely everything excluded on the audience network except for you know three subcategories and yet 97% of the budget was getting shipped off of LinkedIn onto the audience network. So I like the audience network as a supplement, especially if you're if, especially if you're you're targeting a small target market and maybe they're less active on LinkedIn. I do think it's good to supplement, but I don't agree with more than 50% of the budget going off LinkedIn. So what I found as a solution is if you have a decent budget and you want to use the audience network to supplement, duplicate your campaign and turn the audience network on for one and off for the other, and then limit the budget of the campaign that is using it down to a minimum, you know, like 20, 20, 30% of your budget going to the audience network, I think is reasonable. 90% going to the audience network, I think is, um, is not taking advantage of, you know, you might as well just go with like stack adapt and, and run display ads, because at that point, you're not actually doing LinkedIn marketing. Let's talk about budgets. You know, what should companies have for, you know, budget to start and get it going? And what would you recommend, you know, if they've got multiple in industries and they still kind of don't know exactly that, you know, ideal client profile or where, where would they start here on this platform? What would you recommend to start getting good data insights and be able to see conversions in three, four months um, sales cycle? I'd usually recommend, I mean, a, a couple thousand dollars at, at least a month. Um, we have a sweet spot for scrappy startups. So our our initial entry-level offer um, has a management fee for people spending, you know, up, up to 2,500 or 2,500 or less. But you really need to be spending, you know, um, a couple thousand dollars to at least be getting data. And at that rate, it would still take you, you know, a month, maybe two tops to get into, you know, retargeting. Usually you'll get into retargeting in, in month two, even with at a thousand dollar month spend. Um, but you're collecting data slowly. And that's the way I would think about it. You're, you're collecting data at the rate that you're spending. That's the price of data. That's the price of information. So if you have, and it, and it depends on how much information you need. If you have 12 industries that you think are your target market, you know, maybe you don't realize it, but that's a decent amount of data that you need to collect to know how to narrow that down. So a thousand dollars a month is going to take you a while to be able to start getting, you know, leads in the different industries and have meaningful data of where, you know, the, the cost per lead is, is greatest. If you have, um, you know, only three industries, you can get to that data faster. And the more you're spending, the faster you can get that data. So I would think about it like that. The, the ad spend is the cost of getting information. And that's ultimately in the first 90 days, usually that's what you're after, you know, what cold creatives are resonating the most, what industries are we having the most traction with, um, you know, and then what strategy and the retargeting layers are getting conversions for us. 
Um, and that's also to your point why I would say maybe don't do the sprint and maybe stretch it out a little bit because there's, unless you just have that money to throw away, I mean, there's valuable things you can learn so that the next leg of your investment isn't wasted on things you could have learned in the first you know, month. Yes, absolutely. And one thing that I would really like to share an um, insight on is it takes time. It takes even refined labs. They've said it four, six, eight months sometimes to get into understanding enough to serve quality ads. And a lot of startups or in the earliest stages or, you know, all people that are coming into LinkedIn ads, they come in with this expectation that, you know, magic's going to happen when their buying cycle is actually 234 days naturally and thinking, I'm just going to serve an ad and I'm going to start seeing these massive results. And it's like, it's an, it's an experiment. It's a process, right? And there, that's why I guess there's such a burn and churn industry in marketing because expectations that we set on clients go, yeah, you might see something in three months, but sometimes it's not three months. And I think we need to sort of educate and be really honest and upfront. It takes time and sometimes longer than you think to really understand your messaging your ICP, because sometimes clients don't understand that. So we're marketing completely different messaging to the wrong ICP. That's a good point. And I mean, I spend a decent amount of our own budget on marketing. I manage our channels. And I think a a good portion of what we do sometimes is educating, educating our prospects, educating our clients of how the marketing ecosystem works. And one of the things I found really beneficial is that and I think the reason that maybe, you know, LinkedIn ads agencies or Google or Facebook see tend those individuals, individual segments tend to feel like turn and burn is because clients and business owners view these channels in silos. They're like, Hey, you know, we have a profitable Google search. I want to add on LinkedIn. And they're not looking at how LinkedIn can enhance their Google search ad traffic and retarget that they're, and they're comparing it. They're making comparisons from channels that are completely different where of course Google search is should be able to be profitable you know within usually 90 days because you're you can capture people are out there searching for LinkedIn ads agency um, LinkedIn LinkedIn ads agency who wants to take my money and run my ads and and they click on your ad like if you can't if you can't convert a few of those clicks you have something seriously wrong with your website because they're literally looking for someone to throw money at but it's a different ball game when you're putting an ad in front of someone who isn't searching for you, who didn't ask for you for it. You're trying to find the pockets who are most likely to have a need. And then you have to nurture that and look for signals. So unfair comparisons, a lack of understanding of how the different channels fit together. And then, yeah, a, a kind of thinking that marketing is like a coin slot machine where I should be able to put money in the first month and get this out. And then if you get me results, you know, we'll, we'll scale from there. Like, I mean, you kind of want to say, no, it's more like you put money in there and we'll get information out the first month. And then we'll, we'll look at that information and then we'll, we'll do better the next month. We'll get, you know, we'll lower the cost per clicks. We'll get, uh, you know, hopefully a couple of leads and then we'll look at that information and it should improve every month, but it can go up and go down. I mean, it's going to be an experiment and hopefully over time it's, it's up and to the right, but it's, it's a learning curve and process. Absolutely. And I think with experience of what you know, what we, what I know, what they might get there faster because they might be experimenting for a lot more longer, right? And that's all it is, is just experience to be able to probably fasten some of that mistakes that we've made earlier on in clients. Or, um, And you've got like so many years here, you've seen the platform so they might get there faster by actually coming with someone that's already made the mistake that's the only difference we're all getting information but we might have a bit of experience to kind of not do some of the mistakes that's been done tell me about one thing I really wanted to ask you was conversions and you know we talked about a bit more earlier on but it's really important to track conversions but sometimes what happens is people are only tracking for when um, a booking is booked from an ad and they, then we don't know if that page actually had an issue as to whether they landed on the page of the call. So how do you kind of, you know, advise on that, on moving through, you know, what's your thought on that? So it's, it's kind of, and I guess, you know, everyone's starting at different points. So if you're, if you're starting completely from scratch, 
then, you know, first you're looking at cost per clicks, you know, you haven't even gotten any leads and you, or if it's a form submission on your website, you haven't gotten any of those. So first you're just trying to get people qualified people to your website for less. Um, one cool trick that I, I saw from some people that I thought was cool, especially if you're getting starting out is that you could set up conversions that aren't quite conversions yet. So maybe they didn't, maybe they just visited the contact us page, um, and they didn't actually submit it. And your contact us page is a separate one. So you could set up, you know, visited, um, URL that contains contact us and it's put a, a low value. It's worth $1. So it's worth more than, or yeah, it's worth more than like just a website visit because it shows intent, but it's not worth anything like crazy, but it, it, it's something to optimize for. So now you're you're trying to show ads to people that are visiting the page. And then as you get more people that are visiting your contact us page, you finally start getting a couple of people to submit and they, you know, they book the call um, or they they have that submission. Um, so and that's how it is for most people. So they have the contact us page. They submit a form, and then the next stage is booking a call. Um, and so first you're tracking just they visited the contact us page. Then as you finally start getting people that submitted it, you're tracking, you know, they they should be pushed to like a thank you page. So you can track that as a conversion. So now you're tracking, and maybe that's worth $5 or $10 or something. You give it a higher value, and you start tracking that. And then and you create those as like retargeting audiences too. So you could say... They visited the contact us page, but they didn't hit my thank you page yet. So I know they didn't submit. Or as you start getting those submissions, they submitted the contact us, but they haven't booked a call with us yet. Um, and you start optimizing for what you can track and you start getting more of those. And then as you start seeing people book calls, you know, you start optimizing for that and you say, okay, well, these are people that have booked call calls with us, but they haven't become paying clients yet. So that's kind of one of the things where I would say you create these you track what you can, whatever you can, and and try to say, you know, what points are they going to visit between they've never heard of us and their paying clients? And it's usually very similar. It's website visit, key page visits, a form submission, a booked call, then their paying clients. And if you can set those up as trackable URLs, which doesn't take, you know, I'm not a website developer, but I can duplicate a, a thank you page and turn it into a, a booked call confirmed page. Then you can create these little segments and say, they visited this page, but they didn't submit the form. They submitted the form, but they didn't book a call. They booked a call, but they didn't convert to a paying client yet. And that's a really powerful, um, you know, some segments you can create with some well-timed ads uh, to help push them down. But that's kind of the journey it takes. You start with wherever you're at, whatever data you have in your account, and kind of slowly go from there and optimize and um, for whatever you can track. Amazing. And do you put points on like a dollar on if it's not that warm, but you'll put like maybe 10 bucks or a hundred bucks or something like, sorry, yeah, hundred points onto hundred bucks, but you know, the conversion value um, for much more warmer. So you can then see that, Hey, this one's got to be the actual conversion because it's worth 101 points. That's what you were trying to signify, right? LinkedIn doesn't optimize for conversion value yet. So I'm not I'm not suggesting that that's something that, you know, will help the algorithm. It's more for me because when you're looking at the dashboard, it'll show conversions, but then it'll also show conversion value. So if I'm looking at it, so the other thing I do, which is, and this has changed maybe since last time I talked to you, is that I was always torn between if I should set conversions for each or for last. Um, so it's a last campaign each each whatever or last. And so the difference is if you have four ads, you know, and they they interact with all four ads, but then on the last ad, they finally convert. Last would mean just that one gets conversion, um, the conversion point. Each means all four. So I, I really didn't like each for a long time because it overstates the ads or it overstates the conversions. Like the client only got one booked call, but we as marketers are showing four conversions. And I thought maybe marketers were being sneaky about that. But then I've, 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 I, I do, my solution is I use both now. So for a booked call, I set up a conversion that says the last is worth $150 and each is worth $10. So now I can see the journey. I can see they touched these three ads and I can see this ad was the final conversion. Um, and I like that. So I think that's different. I like that too. I did want to ask you with your, this method of, um, you guys should check out 
Justin on LinkedIn, you'll see a diagram come up, which shows how he likes to, you know, layer his ads and how it starts to how he will go through. But one thing we were looking at your diagram and we saw that you've got things that, you know, if they saw this ad, then you push to the next ad. So you can really control the flow of ad and their journey from the start to the finish. So what I'm trying to say is, for example, you might just show one ad at the very, very the first, only one ad, and then you collect enough data to push to them to see the second ad. And you can control the whole journey that you see it, but you do then need a fair bit of budget at the top to keep pushing and a fair bit of audience to keep pushing down that flow, isn't it? So that's what we couldn't see from your diagram. It seems like you do both, but sometimes you push from one to one to one and then to many. Um, what's what's the thought process there? Is it like amazing if we can go from one to one to one to one all the way through and control the journey? You could, and I've I've played with some crazy stuff that for the most part, I, I have a very simple cold campaign and it pushes to many retargeting layers. I don't have a, a specialized curated journey where if they click on this ad, they see this specific campaign and only once they interact with this, do they, you could create that. And I think the easiest way to do that would be with, would be with videos. Um, now, now they do have single ambit, single image retargeting. So you could curate that, but it's, that's really time consuming. Um, no, no, uh, no like service provider is going to do that for you. And no, almost no business owner, even me, as as crazy as I am, I haven't created something that elaborate. Like, so it's usually if they if they interact with any of my cold ads, and usually I'm not running that many, they get pushed to my 90 day retargeting web, and it has five or six different campaigns in there. I use single image ads, uh, videos, text ads, follower ads, spotlight ads. So they get pushed to that whole group. And if they interact with any of those in that group within the 90 day window, they get pushed to a 30 day high uh, CTA kind of push for the demo kind of campaign. If they make it through the 90 days without revisiting my website, without revisiting my company page or interacting with any of those ads, they move into a 180 day nurture where it's very light touch. It's just text ads, spotlight ads, follower ads, really low cost just to stay in front of them in a light way over the next couple of months. So I, yes, you can get really crazy. And you could say if they watch this video or they watch half of this video um, or more, send them, you know, put this video on their feed. If they watch 50% or less, we need to keep warming them up. Let's send them to this video. And then you could create these elaborate trees that are just, you know, one-to-one, but haven't actually done that. Well, that's good to know. So for the run listening on who's one of my um, employees, he was like, I think Justin's crazy. I think this is what he's doing from the diagram. So that will just um, totally clear it up. couple of last few questions for you as we wrap up. Do you use benchmarks for industry? How do you know? Like, you know, I'm doing a good job. Yes and no. I mean, we have, because we've we've worked with so many clients, we, we do have general benchmarks. Um, but I feel like the benchmarks you find online can be misleading. Like, you know, the average click-through rate is 0.4 and the average cost per click is this. But there's usually not enough context behind it to say, is that cold or is that retargeting or is that, you know, how big was their target audience? And it's, there's so many, there's so many more that it's almost like you can look at those and it is good to know that, you know, 0.4 is, you know, maybe that is, I think that's just the standard accepted CTR. Um, But I, I, I think, and there is cost per clicks for cold ads for different industries that there is a range, but you really just need to take it like case by case. You can look at those. Don't give them, you know, don't base your whole plan on those. LinkedIn also in their forecast gives okay benchmarks. They keep changing them. But if you're, if you're, if you're making your campaign, you create your audience and then over to the right, it gives you like a forecast. And I kind of want to grab, you know, I don't know what calculations they put into that. If that's actual data from the other people that are targeting that group, because uh, it seems like that would be, you know, possible for them to do, but it seems, you know, it seems to be in line with what you could find online. Um, and that's might be an okay benchmark to kind of look, but then depending on your offer, your website, your, you know, there's a lot that's going to go into the variables. What's the best way to name the ads, you know? So you, when you've got so many ads, what's the naming, what's your naming convention that you've, you know, come down to? 
that's a bad question for me. So if if anyone knows me personally, I am not the attention to detail person. So Jonathan and Josh on my team, they have very strict naming conventions. And so I'm in my bubble where I do our ads. I teach them, you know, about ads, my crazy theories. I walk them through, like I'll deal with some of our, our higher end clients and, you know, they'll learn from me and then they'll, they'll roll out the ad type, um, a little bit of info about the target group, the audience size. And I think they put something else in there so that you can glean like a decent amount of data just from looking at it. If you look at the ads I'm actually personally running for like myself and the handful of clients that I personally take on, they are not, uh, they're not that structured. You basically have like a mad scientist and they're like doing stuff and it's, uh, it's not, the naming convention is not on the top of my list of things that I, I stop and uh, implement something rigorously on. No, that's fair enough. I think that it, I think it makes sense for teams because they're sharing and so forth. And for you to do your own thing, it's easier because we all know what's going on in our head, but for team. Last final question, how would you break up organic versus LinkedIn paid budget? So in LinkedIn, this, I, when I say let's weaponize LinkedIn for companies or for brands, three ways I think you can do that. You can use personal profiles like you and I, are doing and you can become sort of an influencer and share educational content because you and I can't actually do ads. We're a, we're a person that can just use that organic. And then there's the company social pages where people can share stuff. And I don't know, that's kind of hard because LinkedIn doesn't really show that on your feed. And then you've got paid ads. But does that mean that you just put nothing on your social organic whatsoever because someone from your ad might visit it? Like what's, how would you, how do you look at it being, you know, a paid at agency and pushing that, but also I see you're doing organic as well. So how do you view that? My my take on it has gone back and forth over the years. I, I initially got my traction through organic and then it became hard for me to regulate and scale the organic side because at a certain point of following engagement, like anyone who's done the, org- done the organic, they realize that it's less about the quality of the post. It's about the consistency and how much time you have to dedicate to the engagement side. And that can be hard to scale as, as your following grows. Um, and so for a while, I liked how paid ads were more scalable and took less time for me. Um, but I've come back to the side of organic, realizing the benefits of, you know, ads cost a lot of money. And if I can be consistent and have a routine and not get burnt out, this organic side can produce high quality leads without the ad spend. It's really nice to supplement for any any startup that isn't just ungodly rich, it's hard to ignore, you know, the benefit of that. So I've come back to that being a really solid asset. And that's why I've been a lot more active this year. Um, and then the company page is, you know, like the redheaded stepchild. It's it's hard to get traction on there. But I would say that it it has a bearing on the effectiveness of the ads. When you show an ad in the feed, a lot of times it has the logo of the company and how many followers it has. So even we've noticed a difference in um, the results of clients who have less than a thousand followers. You know, if you have, it's kind of a trust issue. If you have 10, 20,000 followers on your company page and you're running ads, it just like having more likes and comments on your ad, uh, that social proof actually helps. So I would say it's worth being consistent. Um, and if you check your ad, uh, your LinkedIn ad campaign, one of the things, the columns that you can track is uh, company page visits. And it's because people see your ad and instead of clicking learn more, they just click your company page and they check and see, you know, and it's like an intermediate step before they go to your website, they'll check your company page. So it's worth at least keeping up with, putting out consistent content, giving away some value and, you know, and building something there. And then can you use the organic posts that do well then in your paid ads? So you can move from what's sort of you've built assets on your organic page and move to paid ads or vice versa as well, I guess. Like, do you kind of use the, if a company comes to you and they've got organic already, that must put you in a better position to help them because you can already pull out some of the messaging and creatives they've got. It seems like a natural journey. What's your thoughts? Yeah. And we, we don't have a ton of um, uh, companies that come to us with a strong organic presence, either from their personal profile or their company. So normally it's it's not um, you know an asset for them, but when we do for for ourselves personally and for the clients that do, it does actually help. And one of the things I've done 
is, yeah, I will, I'll use my organic and I'll see, you know, this is an organic app, an organic piece of content that did really well. I shared a piece of expert insight um, and I'll take those elements and try to turn it into an ad or a couple of times I've done, and it's probably hard to get client approval on this because, you know, it's not polished enough, but I've screenshotted my organic post, including the likes and comments. So it kind of has like the built-in social proof. And I've run that as an ad, put money behind it. And I would either, I've experimented with a couple of crazy things where I would actually, the click would actually just send them to my actual organic post instead of even going to the website so they can continue to, you know, follow me, engage with my stuff. Um, I haven't really done that on the company page side because it's really hard to get, you know, organic engagement and following on the company page side. But yeah, I have done that for myself and a handful of people where we use their organic content as ads or images for ads. And I've even gone as far as sending the traffic back to the organic page, uh, which is interesting. Oh, that's genius. Justin, you're just a wealth of information. I love it. I love some of the strategies that you've led on. I've loved the conversation that you've shared. You're just, um, you just, you know, light up new information and new way of thinking, even for me. So I'm sure everyone listening on has just got so much value. Thanks so much for joining me. I've enjoyed it thoroughly, the conversation. And um, anyone that wants to reach out to Justin, he is very open to, you know, um, helping you out. Just reach out to him, watch him on LinkedIn. We're always, you know, commenting on each other's stuff. So you'll see him popping up if you are connected to me. But um, I love it. Thank you so much, Justin. And I look forward to the next time we catch up and diagnose and talk again about LinkedIn ads. I appreciate it. And I'm sure we could talk about this for days and days. So it's a pleasure as always. You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind.